Well, good morning, guys. How's it going? Hey, I'm really excited to get to be here with you guys this morning. My name is Ben Clausen, and uh, there's a lot of new stuff going on in my life right now. For example, I just started here last week. I just started as a fellow here at Grace this past weekend, or this past week, which was pretty crazy. And now I'm up here on Sunday, and I'm pumped about it. I also got married about a week ago, not a week ago, a month ago. That's <laughs> Hannah. I did not start my job and get married at the same time. Uh, that's Hannah, and she's also right there if you, you know, want to see her in person. And uh, I have loved getting to, getting to be married to her. It's been amazing and be here uh, working at Grace. Um, another new thing for me that I've been really excited about is I'm, this is my first summer ever in College Station, actually. I've spent my last couple of summers in uh, Colorado working at this, at this camp called Horn Creek, uh, that's basically, if you've heard of Sky Ranch, it's their leadership camp. And I love Horn Creek. If you've ever been, you're like driving down this road parallel to the mountains. You pull up and there's this road that just cuts into the mountains and disappears. And that's where the camp is. It's amazing. So I'm transitioning to the, to the college station weather and summer and everything. And it's been great. But one of the best things about Horn Creek that I ever noticed specifically was uh, this, there was this awesome camp that... As you went up the hill, you would find where campers would be, and there were a couple of family camps additionally. But right at the bottom of this hill was the, were the owners of this camp, a family called the Zellers. And the Zellers did this amazing thing for the people who would come to Horn Creek. They owned corgis for these two purposes. The first purpose was to make more corgis. So they would sell and breed these corgis. And the second purpose was they would release these corgis all over camp and say, here is your charge. Go love people. So corgis, at just the right time, would always come running up to your camp and start lathering you with affirmation. It was fantastic. And we were at this, uh, I took a big group of campers one time, like 40 girl and guy, junior, juniors in high school, uh, to this thing that the camp had called the Alpine Swing. And we were sitting off to the side in this little area, watching people do their thing on the swing. And all of a sudden, these corgis came sprinting up to us. And what do 40 girls and guys who are in high school, and now do when corgis come running up, you attach to the corgis. So we were petting these corgis, and it was really fantastic, great moment. They were rolling over on their bellies, letting us scratch them. It was great. But then, out of the mountainous woods comes running another woodland creature, not a bear, but a chipmunk. There are all kinds of chipmunks in the woods in Colorado, and it sprints, and all of a sudden the corgis go from cute and fluffy to hunter mode instantly and they whoa that was that was intense they go to hunter mode instantly and take off after this chipmunk that runs under this platform that exists to hop up onto the onto the alpine swing thing so this chipmunk is hiding under this platform in safety for a moment and the corgis are circling it trying to see if they can dig their way under this platform to get to this chipmunk but what he doesn't know is that he's completely safe but about 50 yards from this platform is a blue tarp. And the chipmunk must have just been sitting under there thinking, I'm doomed. This is where I'm going to die. But that blue tarp, that is my place of safety. So all of a sudden, you see this chipmunk dart out from under the platform to the blue tarp. And then the corgis instantly notice and follow this chipmunk. And then the next thing that you see is three little bodies under this blue tarp and then the next image is this chipmunk flying up into the air and coming down into the no longer cute and fuzzy but ravenous mouth of this corgi. And right there in front of 20 high school girls and guys, this, this 
Corgi begins to devour the chipmunk, <laughs> ripping into him in front of these now crying and just bawling high school girls. And he had perfect safety under the platform, but he had doomed himself. Now, why do I tell you that random, terrible corgi story specifically? <laughs> uh, because there was a difference in that moment. There's a tension between what this corgi had been charged to do and what it actually chose to do. And I think the Psalms present a really similar tension. Uh, here at Grace College, we've been looking through the Psalms, um, which are basically biblical uh, books that are poetic expressions of human experience. They tell us about the tension between humanity and man and God. And they, they're sort of a guidebook for us as to how to respond to the good times, to the bad times, and to the magnificence of our God. And Psalm 33 is the one that we're specifically looking at today. And I think the structure of Psalm 33 is really cool because at the beginning, there's a typical psalmish charge to go out and praise the Lord. The psalm writer says, hey, join together and go praise the Lord in these ways for the first three verses. And then the psalm just goes on to give reasons why God is praiseworthy. And then the last three verses of this psalm actually change language, and it's no longer one person speaking, but it's a whole chorus of people speaking. Like if we were to lift our voices in praise to the Lord. And it's a whole chorus of people coming together to say, God, we praise you, we love you, and we affirm what you're doing in our lives. So the question sort of arose for me when I looked at this psalm, what caused everyone participating to make the jump from charged to praise to choosing to praise? Because I started this past semester going through a psalm a day myself, and it was awesome. I would read through it and hear specific charges given to me to go out and praise the Lord of my, of my hope, of my deliverance, of my salvation. And then what would happen for me a lot is I would walk away unchanged, and I wouldn't praise God in a new or or a, a way like I had been affected by what the psalm had given me. And we all know that our goal with Scripture should never be to walk away from it completely unchanged. Uh, so what I think this psalm is getting at is this. What caused the psalmists and everyone who joined in with them in praise to go from charge to praise to choosing to praise was intimately knowing the subject of their praise. A couple of weeks ago, Hannah and I, or this past weekend, Hannah and I actually got to go DJ a wedding for a couple of our best couple friends. We don't like DJ. It was like a click play on a playlist type of thing. Um, but we got to hear the father of the bride speech at one moment, and it was, there was something that happened in it that really stood out to us. Um, this father of the bride got up there and was talking about the time he had sat down with, with Andrew, who was this groom, to talk specifically about, uh, to talk specific, or the groom was asking him for his permission to marry his daughter. So the two were sitting down, and he said he asked Andrew this one question. Can you tell me everything that you know about my daughter? And in his words, what ensued were the praiseful words of a man who intimately knew his daughter and was worthy of not only her hand in marriage, but her, his fatherly blessing, which was amazing to hear. And why was Andrew able to bring praise to Katie, who is his to-be bride? Because he intimately knew her. And I want to do the exact same th thing through Psalm 33 today. So if you could go ahead and turn there, um, I'd, love to, I'd love to talk with you today specifically about four characteristics of God that if recognized, appreciated, and internalized, will take our praise from charged to choosing. We'll go from charged to praise to choosing to praise. So if you've got a Bible or a phone, or if you've got eyes and want to look up there, uh, I'd love for you to join me in Psalm 33. And while you're doing that, I want to give you a little intro into Psalm 33. Uh, there are a lot of typical writers of the Psalms. You might have heard of King David. He wrote 
uh, 70-something of the Psalms. There's a guy named Moses who wrote a couple of Psalms and a guy named Asaph who wrote a bunch of them. And then there are a handful of other authors uh, in addition to some anonymous ones. And this Psalm specifically, Psalm 33, is written by an anonymous writer. So we don't know who it is. So as we're reading through it, I'll refer to him as the anonymous psalmist. So when you hear me say psalmist, that's who I'm talking about specifically. Um, So as we're going through this Psalm, I also want you to notice the structure that I talked about a little bit ago, which is that the psalmist brings, or the psalmist in the first three verses says, hey, here's your charge to go out and praise the Lord. And then in the next uh, 17 verses, he says, here is why God is praiseworthy. And then it ends with that chorus of people coming together, choosing to together praise the Lord. So let's look at the first three verses. They say this. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make a melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Okay, Paul's right there. That's your charge from the psalmist. And we don't have time to unpack how to bring praise to the Lord in this way, but I think he's saying to bring praise beautifully, creatively, skillfully, and boldly. And that's an incredible charge. And I don't have time to unpack how to do all of those, but I want to point you to two resources. Number one is Rob. Rob is the guy who is up here worship, worship leading for us. He said he's the worship coordinator and the worship leader. And that, just doesn't, that doesn't just mean that he's a good singer. That means he's a guy who knows how to himself bring praise and worship to the Lord. And he would love to help you figure out a way to beautifully, creatively, skillfully, and boldly do that in your own life. In addition is Austin. Austin's been preaching up here all semester, or all summer, and he delivered a message on how to bring praise to the Lord in this way. So if you want to talk to him, he's another fantastic resource. This psalm specifically is more focused on the why, the motivation of our praise, than the how to our praise. So that's what I want to talk about today. Okay, jump back in. Verse 4. It says this, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The first thing that I want you guys to know, the first characteristic of God that you need to recognize in order to go from charge to praise to choosing to praise, is this. God is speaking. So my question sort of here is, what does the psalmist say about God's speaking or God's words that makes them special and worth listening to? I think the answer here is that his words are both valuable and powerful. Look back at verse 4 with me now. He says, The word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. This is a lofty view of the word of God. The word upright that he uses, I'll jump back there. The word upright really just means pure and good and untainted. And then the word faithful means consistent to what it says it's going to do. So this is a lofty view of the word of God. He, the psalmist, clearly views the word of God as, as valuable here. So I want to I talk specifically about what he might be meaning by the word of God. Another verse that you might know is 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is God-breathed. So here specifically, what we know the word of God is for us is the scriptures of God, the Bible. So the question that I have for us today is, do we view the word of God, the scriptures of God, as valuable? Do we view them as valuable like this psalmist describes them? Do we view them, as he says, as upright? 
or do we see them as uptight? Do we see the words of God as faithful or faulty? I remember this past semester uh, during Breakaway Shalom Project, they raised over $100,000 to translate Bibles for people all over the world. Some of you might remember this moment that I'm going to talk about right now, specifically at Breakaway. They showed this video on a Tuesday night that talked about this lady uh, who loved her Bible in Iran. And she had actually been uh, jailed for her faith, for choosing, to, for choosing to read her Bible in Iran. And uh, she was telling this story about how they put her in solitary confinement just because she read her Bible. They put her in solitary confinement, rid her of the opportunity to have consistent food or water or contact with the outside world or any kind of luxury. And when the guards would come to her narrow window, she would ask them this one thing, can you bring me my Bible? (laughs) And then she was standing in front of this video camera on the other side of jail and said, this is what she learned. She said, I learned I could live without food. I could live without water. I could live without ever seeing my family or friends again. But what I learned in jail is that I could not live without my Bible. So the question that I want to pose to us today is, do we see our Bible as that powerful, as that valuable? That's really convicting to me, especially I'm preaching this to you guys, but also to me about the value of Scripture. And the next thing that he goes on to say is that it's powerful. Read verses 6 through 9 with me. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters and the seas as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So the word of the Lord is not only valuable, but powerful. He says that God is capable of creating the heavens and the earth and everything on them just by speaking which is basically incomprehensible. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, How easy for the Lord to make the most ponderous of orbs, that's the planets, and the most glorious of angels. A word, a breath could do it. It's as easy for God to create the universe as for a man to breathe. Nay, far easier, for man breathes not independently, but borrows the breath in his nostrils from his maker. So I'll ask again, do you see the the words of God as this powerful in your life? Do you see them as actually capable of making a difference of as you're reading them and soaking them in, being able to impact your life and transform you in that way? Do you see them as that powerful? One thing that I loved about the Corgi camp that I told you about uh, was that I got to lead these Bible studies with these juniors in high school. And we sat down and moved through the book of Ephesians. And I remember one of the coolest things was there were so many times that these campers for the first time would realize that the scriptures of God were actually valuable in their lives. They would go through the scriptures, and I remember they would interrupt our Bible study and say, wait a minute, you're telling me the Bible has something to say about peer pressure that I feel every day? You're telling me the Bible has something to say about resisting temptation when I've been falling into temptation all the time? You're telling me that I've been looking for my identity in all of these things, but it's actually found in Christ? You're telling me that the Bible is actually powerful in my life? And I, the wise counselor, would enjoy the fruit of my teaching. It was fun, you know? So just to realize that the word of the Lord is valuable and powerful was so impactful. So I want to go back to what we said originally, that in order to go from charge to praise to choosing to praise, we have to realize that God is speaking. So I want to ask this morning, is he speaking to you? If you want to hear him speak out loud, let me tell you, open your Bible and read it out loud. And I just want to charge us with that today. Pull up a chair. Take a seat. Take a seat at the feet of God 
and see that he is wanting to speak to you through his scriptures. Learn through the scriptures why he is valuable or why it's valuable and why it's powerful. If, you're, if you haven't ever started that before, then my charge is to, is to get around someone who has. Talk to someone who is more advanced in their scripture reading. Humbly say, hey, I want to learn. I want to learn how to, how to know this thing more. And if you just want to get more consistent, then Grace is doing something that's hopefully helpful to you. It's a, a Bible reading plan that Grace has going right now. You can search Grace Bible on the YouVersion uh, Bible app and just pull it up. And the, the uh, goal of it is to help everyone become more consistent in their walk and study of Scripture. So if you're interested in that, we would love it if you would jump in, talk to one of us afterward about becoming more consistent or starting in the Word of God. Because God is a speaking God, and that's the first thing that I think you need to know to go from charge to praise to choosing to praise. We often praise fantastic authors for their work. Why? Because their words are worthy of our attention. How much more worthy are the words of the one who created them in the first place? Let's look at the next verses in this, in this scripture. Verses 10 through 12 are this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. So let me bring us back to, uh, back to high school English class right now and, and point out some structural parallelism here in this. He says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. And then it contrasts the counsel and the plans of the people, of the earth people, earthlings, I almost called them, to the counsel and the, whatever, to the counsel and the plans of the Lord. It contrasts those two. So the next thing that you need to know to take your praise from charged to choosing to pray, to go from charged to praise to choosing to praise is this. God is sovereign. And I want to I wanna specifically look at that and point out that nations here is a, is a ploy to an entire huge group of people. It says the council of nations. That's a huge group of people coming together to meet together and make an advised decision. It says that huge of a decision made by a nation is nothing stood up against the, the decision of the Lord, the council and the plans of the Lord. And then he also says of the people specifically. So he's talking about individual uh, people studying the word of God. God, It's their decisions as well who are just as subject to the sovereignty of the Lord. Uh, Charles Spurgeon again puts it this way. He says that our plans and schemes, as those compared to the Lord, are like puffballs flung against a granite wall. Now, I don't know if you know what a puffball is. I don't really know what a puffball is. But when I get that mental imagery, I see a puffball and a granite wall. Puffball seems real weak, you know, something squishy. And then a granite wall, I don't know if I've ever seen one of those. I've seen granite countertops, and they're hard. But a granite wall, I'm just picturing a huge granite wall, puffball, you throw it against the granite wall, which one wins? The granite wall. I think Charles Spurgeon was onto something when he said puffballs, whatever that means. So if you want to do more research after this, what a puffball is, go for it. So I, I want to talk again specifically about, about this. We're trying to go from charge to praise to choosing to praise. So recognizing that God's sovereignty in your life is so important because life is hard. We're all desperately, desperately in need of a God who is sovereign over our life, over our lives. And if you can realize that in the difficult times when things are tough, that he is sovereign and that he is in, in control, then it'll take, you from, uh, it'll take you from miserable to faithful. 
And you'll go from, from just charged to praise to choosing to praise. It'll liberate you and, and fuel your praise. So the question that I have for you simply today, the application is this. Call out the places in your life that God is secondary and not sovereign. If you're anxious all the time about what school is like, or if you're worried how you're going to appear in front of people, or if you're anxious about your next paycheck, or constantly producing negativity instead of hope, point to that area of your life and say, is God secondary or sovereign in this part of my life? And honestly, ask yourself that. Talk about it in community. See where you're putting God second, where he's secondary, or where he's sovereign in your life. And I think if we do that, I can tell you from experience that it's liberating and praise-fueling to trust that God is sovereign and God is in control. So let's look at the next verses and the next thing that you need to know about God. It's uh, verses 13 through 50, 15, 13 through 50. It says this, The Lord looks down from heaven, he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks at all the inhabitants, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. The third characteristic of God that you need to recognize to take you from charge to praise to choosing to praise is this. God is seeing. God is a seeing God. And I think that this is really important to us because um, this one is way more personable, personal than the rest. If we think about the huge grand narrative of the God of the universe seeing into our lives and being sovereign over our decisions, it can seem far, sort of far out and far away. But if we think about God as seeing as these verses describe it, then it can transform us. And my hope is that there's some people in this room this morning who might be saying, you know, I, I hear this, but I, I don't believe that God is actually speaking. I don't believe that he's sovereign or he's seeing in my life. And, and what I want to pose to you today is if the words of the Bible are true, if any of this that we're talking about is possibly true today, then it's, it's huge. It means that God's in control of your life and that God can see everything that you do. And if you do believe these words, then this is also huge. I remember a couple months ago, there was a situation that prompted my mom bringing out um, some old videos of my sister and I as kids. Uh, you know, exciting stuff. And we sat down in front of this TV watching these videos. And there was this one specifically, it must have been focused on my sister because she was a 10-month-old and I was like four years old. And this video, this home video was just of my sister uh, doing mundane 10-month-old things like going from laying down to sitting up or sucking her thumb, that type of thing. And it was just like hours of this video of her doing this. And then occasionally what would happen is little me would cut into the video and say, Mommy, video me, video me. I want to be videoed. And in that moment, I want to let you know, number one, that was not coming from the place of a neglected child. My mother did not neglect me. That was coming from a place that all that I could... She did the opposite of neglect me, I guess. Um, That was coming from a place where all I could process was this. I desperately want to be seen. And I think I can, if we're honest, say that that's still alive in me today, and I think it's not just me that that's alive inside of today. I think we all desperately want to be seen by the Lord. So here's the good news. He does see you. God is a seeing God. So I want to I pose this today. Are you considering his sight? Are you thinking about the Lord actually looking on your life And are you considering what it might be like if the Lord saw every decision you made, every moment of your life? Because I believe that if we consider his sight, uh, it's going to change the way that we live and it's going to change the way that we praise. So my charge today 
to us is that we consider the sight of the Lord. So let's review where we are right now. We've seen that God is sovereign, or sorry, that God is speaking, that God is sovereign, and that God is seeing. And these alone are reasons enough to fuel immeasurable amounts of praise. But they're not even the best reason that God is praiseworthy. So let's look at these last verses on here. It says, that, it says this, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from famine, from death, and keep them alive in famine. So the last thing that you need to know, the last characteristic that you need to know about God to go from charge to praise to choosing to praise is this. God is saving. Think specifically about the things that he uses here. He says, uh, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. I don't know how much those specific examples speak to you, but here's what the psalm writer was doing in this moment. He was appealing to the people and saying, think of the greatest, mightiest things that you have ever imagined or thought of on this earth. Are you a king? Think about your great army, the hundreds and thousands of people that you have backing you to keep you safe. Are you a warrior? Think about your great strength, the things that you've cultivated and worked on for years and years and years. Are you uh, a warrior again? Think about the war horse because it's the strongest, most uh, tough animal out there. Think about that. So I, I started thinking to myself, uh, what are those things today that don't stand a chance at saving me that I might lean on that actually are worthless? Uh, these were some of the things that I thought of. My performance It can't save me. My acceptance or enoughness, it'll never deliver me. My social status, it'll never rescue me. My good deeds, they're a false hope for salvation. But verse 18 says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our hope is not in our stuff, in ourselves, or in our prestige. Our hope is in the Lord, and he is a saving God. There's this story about these Navy SEALs who were on this rescue mission to, to get some hostages that were, that were being kept by the enemy. And these Navy SEALs bust in and neutralize the enemy immediately. And then they got to this back room where these hostages were being held. And when they bust in, they said, hey, we're here to rescue you. But the hostages in this moment had been through so much. They had been held in such captivity that they were quivering in the corner in the fetal position. So these SEALs stood back and said, what do we do? How do we get them to come with us? And one of them in this moment had this idea, and this is what he did. He took his gun off his shoulder and he laid it on the ground. He took his backpack off and he removed the rest of his equipment, laid it to the side, and then he crouched down into a kneeling position alongside these hostages. And he began to tremble, touching them as they were. And he sat there for a moment, and then eventually these hostages began to look up and looked to him, and he whispered to them, I know what you've been through, and I'm here to rescue you. And they began to get up and follow him. And I just want to say, praise God, that we don't have a God who bust in the room and said, hey, I'm here to deliver you. Follow me, you must. But instead, he humbled himself in the form of a man and came to the earth and sat right alongside us, trembling next to us, and said, I can understand what you've been through, what you're going through. And I'm here not just to live a life to show you a good example, but I'm here to die on your behalf. 
And this God died on the cross for our sins, for each of our sins. And then he didn't just stay there. The speaking and sovereign and seeing and now saving God, who we call Jesus, rose from the grave and took the keys to death and and claimed the victory over all of it. And said, if you want me to not just be speaking and sovereign and seeing, but also saving in your life, all all you have to do is is profess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I'm your God. And that is what's going to ultimately fuel our praise more than anything. We have to trust that God is a saving God. So I just want to look back real fast and see ultimately what's going to bring us to the last verses are this. To go from charge to praise to choosing to praise, we must recognize and internalize this. God is speaking and we need to listen. So today my hope is that we'll walk out of here and feel fueled to get Uh, into scripture deeply to maybe open it for the first time or to open it for the first time consistently. My hope is that we'll recognize that God is sovereign and doesn't want to be secondary in our lives. My hope is that we will see that God is seeing and our life should look different in his sight. And then finally, God is saving and there's nothing that's more praiseworthy. And if we do all of that, ultimately we can get to the last verses of this scripture, which says this, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning, for the opportunity to to sit back and think critically about your scriptures. I pray today that if I've said anything that's, that's false, that it'll be forgotten the minute that each of these people walks out of the door. But I pray that I've said it, if I've said anything truthful, that it'll sink in and make an impact. God, I pray that every single person here would, would walk out of here, stirred on to have an even stronger relationship with you than ever, God. I, I just want to thank you for this morning and, and pray that it's, it's praise-fueling for us. And that all of us would leave here uh, both charged to praise and choosing to praise, God. And I pray that if there are any hearts in this room who want to know you for the first time that what they'll choose to do is come and talk to one of us. Talk to to a fellow or anybody here who might be a step ahead of them, God, to know you intimately for the first time and and to jump in with your scriptures. God, thank you for this morning and the opportunity that you've given us to know you deeply. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.